Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. I'm sure we're all aware that the country of China has been on the use um, very much over the last months, um, not just to do with COVID-19, but with a whole host of things, particularly we feel for the people of Hong Kong, um, who are now under uh, an increasingly hostile control by the government in Beijing. And liberties and freedoms which they were promised and which were guaranteed in our treaty with China when Hong Kong was handed back, to them back away back 1997, many of these freedoms and liberties are now being seriously corroded. If you're not so sure about that or are not so much aware of that, then I encourage you to go online um, and to follow some of the media reports of the situation there. But of course, it's not just um, to do with Hong Kong or to do with COVID-19. Um, for years, for as long as I can remember, um, China has been one of those countries where the church has faced great persecution. In 1949, when the communist government took over and the missionaries left China, it was indeed feared that under the control of a very anti-Christian communist government, the church would not survive. Of course, God is greater. He said, and through Jesus Christ, that he would build his church and not even the gates of hell would prevail against it. And the church not only survived, but thrived, despite the cultural revolution, despite the killing and persecution and imprisonment of thousands, tens of thousands of believers, the church actually thrived in those circumstances. And then there was a period in the 1980s and 1990s when under a relatively more, and I put this in inverted commas, liberal regime in Beijing, the church actually made major inroads, not only amongst the poorer people or those out in the outer provinces of that vast country, but also amongst even some within the Communist Party itself, certainly in the junior levels. But of course, over the last 10 years, there's been a marked reaction to that in fear that um, Christian influences were getting too great. Indeed, the fear of any other influence apart from the influence of the Communist Party was becoming too great. Then the government in China has stamped down on many things. Can I read to you just something that came in just the other day there? This is the magazine of Release International, one of the organizations that we support as a church, one of the organizations that support the suffering church, the persecuted church. Indeed, it was a privilege at the men's group a few weeks back now to have James from Release International sharing with us some of the stories of the suffering church. Indeed, many of their challenges um, have much to say to us as we have gone through a period of lockdown. But can I read you this article? It's the Chinese church is not afraid, said Pastor Wang Ye, before the authorities sentenced him to nine years imprisonment. I'll read to you the story. Pastor Yang Ye is the influential leader of the Early Rain Covenant Church in the city of Chengdu, Sijun province, one of the best known house churches in China. During a police raid in December 2018, he and his wife Jiang Rong were arrested and detained along with a hundred members of their church. The pastor was charged with inciting subversion of state power and illegal business operations. In December 2019, he was convicted of these crimes, fined and sentenced to nine years in prison. A former law professor, Pastor Yang, has been outspoken in calling on the state to uphold religious liberties. Anticipating his arrest, he had even prepared a letter denouncing the government for the horrendous evil of religious persecution in the country. I am full of disgust and hatred for the Chinese Communist Party's persecution of the church the deprivation of human faith and the freedom of conscience, he wrote. 
The persecution of the church is an extremely evil crime. As a pastor, I must sternly and openly proclaim such sins. This calling also requires me to violate all human laws that violate the Bible and God in a non-violent form in peace and patience. Christ my Saviour asks me to joyfully bear all the costs of transgressing evil laws. I am no longer afraid of social and political powers. Those who believe in Jesus do not do evil, and they should not fear the power of darkness. This is precisely the reason why the communist regime is full of fear for a church that no longer fears it. According to Wang, this persecution, while evil, is actually pushing many Chinese people to, again quote, lose faith in their future, leading them to a desert of spiritual disillusionment and through this to know Jesus. I'd encourage you, as I say, to go online and to look up Open Doors, um, Release International, the Barnabas Trust, other Christian organisations, and to read some of these very moving and stirring stories. But it reminds us, of course, that the persecution of the church, whether it be in China or indeed anywhere else, is not a you story. It's a story that's rooted in the story of the Bible. Remember, Jesus himself had warned the disciples that such things would happen to them as he spoke to the disciples, preparing them for all that was going to happen. This is what he said. Speaking to the disciples, as I say, and preparing them for all that would happen, he warned them that as they had persecuted him, so they would persecute his followers. From John chapter 15, hear these words. If you belong to the rather, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my father as well. And so the warning of Jesus, that as he himself faced persecution and opposition and hatred, and did all of that that led to his death on the cross, so the followers of Jesus will face the same. Mark, in his gospel, reminds us that this is part and parcel of what it is to live in the world in these days. From Mark chapter 13, Jesus says, Watch out that no man deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains, and you must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you who is speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And Peter, the apostle, writing later on in his life, towards the end of his own life, and writing to Christians who are about to face the great Neronian persecution, Emperor Nero's persecution, in the AD 60s, he writes this. 
Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And it is, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And so that's just a, a taste, in a sense, of the teaching of the Bible, the New Testament particular, that God's people, the followers of Jesus, would suffer persecution. The time of experience is a pastor wang. Indeed, there will be those who would argue that the church facing opposition, living in an exilic environment where it's not particularly comfortable or easy to believe, where those round about will at best be sceptical and at worst downright opposed, that that actually is the norm for the church. Whereas the situation that we in the West, in particular in our own country, have known for many years, that situation where we, we get on with the world, where there is acceptance of the church, where at one time, of course, the church, maybe not now, but in the past, had a position of influence and status within society, that actually is the extraordinary, that is not the normal for the story of the church. But of course, we've been brought up in that environment, it's been like that for a number of generations, and so we come to believe that's the way things should be. The Bible would suggest, church history would suggest, the testimony of many people in the world today would suggest that that is not the case. And indeed, not far from where I'm speaking, the Covenanters Memorial at Bothwell Bridge reminds us that even within our own country, there were times when people worthy of the gospel, faithful to the gospel, willing to stand up against the state and the misuse of religion for their own ends, paid the ultimate price of martyrdom even in our own country, even within this own, our own area. And I've said that, and it's quite a lengthy introduction, because of that's what we're reading about in the book of Acts. And I encourage you to open your Bibles, if you haven't already done so, to Acts chapter 5, where we've been reading. We've been reading through the story of the church, a church born out of death, the death of Jesus, but born out of that because of the glory of the resurrection. Death could not hold him. He defeated the powers of death. He defeated the powers of Satan. He rose again as vindication of God's word of salvation to our world, as a fulfillment of the promises he gave to the prophets and to the lawgivers of the Old Testament. God's word is faithful. He will build his church and he will have his people. And the story of the book of Acts is how that takes place. In a, in a very um, unattractive environment where there is opposition, where there is persecution, where there is scepticism, where there is a state, the Roman state, which found the claims of Jesus being Lord increasingly offensive. And that's what I said earlier. Peter was writing to Christians who were increasingly going to face that in the, the Roman state. But where also, particularly in the early parts of the book of Acts, the religious establishment, and that's often sad, there's religious leaders and those who are into religion that are most opposed to the you life that's found in Jesus Christ. We read that here, Acts chapter 5 and verse 17. 
Paul and Peter and the apostles are being mightily used by God. We read earlier, we read last week, that God's grace, in chapter 4, God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. It was seen in the Christian community, that spirit of love and mutual care and practical provision. We see that in the miracles, and the miracles which testify to the fact that as Jesus had powerfully brought the dead to life and the sick to healing. So the apostles, by carrying out that miraculous ministry, was testifying to the fact that they were true followers of Jesus. They were part of the Jesus movement, the kingdom of God. And these miracles, we read that people were brought to the disciples and they were healed, the sick in the streets were laid in beds and all the rest of it. That radical impact of the gospel, of course, had a challenge. It revealed people's sin. The story of Ananias and Sapphira speaks solemnly of that. Even within God's people, that lying, that pretense, that attempt to have an outward form of religion but deny its radical life-changing power, that's revealed by the holiness and sovereignty of God. And we're told that after what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, they were struck down, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. There's amazing things happening. But we read in verse 17, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy. You see, my friends, the gospel is offensive. The kingdom of God challenges and provokes. The followers of Jesus are contradictory to, to the spirit and the followers of this world. Whether we like to accept that or not, that is the way it is. We may have lived in an environment where perhaps we could have ignored that reality or made ourselves at peace with the way things are around about us. But the Word of God, the story of the church, the testimony of God's people in the world today is that to be a follower of Jesus is countercultural and will provoke a reaction in one way or the other. And these people, these leaders, these religious leaders were filled with jealousy. It's a very strong word that's used here. They, they were actually sick. They were screwed up by what they saw and by what they heard. And actually that shouldn't surprise us. Because, of course, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and powers of this present age. Behind all of this story, behind the story of the Bible, there is that cosmic battle between God and Satan. And Satan is jealous. He's jealous of God. Can I read you some verses from the book of the prophet Isaiah that give us an insight into why that is the case? In Isaiah 14, we read these verses, and you can go home and read the wider context of how actually satanic darkness and jealousy is worked out in the history and the events of the world. But in verse 12 of chapter 14, listen to these verses. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned in the mount of assembly in the utmost high of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you were brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Satan, that great angel in heaven who wanted to be like God, forgot the fact that he, like all of us, are created beings. But he wanted to be even greater than God. He was cast down. And ever since, his purpose has been to try to cause God hurt by 
damaging and hurting his creation, and supremely, of course, us, this whole story of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And he works in a whole host of different ways. We've already spoken of that in past weeks. Here, he fills these people with jealousy. They're going to lose face. They're losing power. They're losing influence over people. They're no longer looked upon with the same regard as they once were by the common people. These religious leaders are incensed. As I said earlier, they're screwed up. They're filled with jealousy. And where the gospel is released, where God's grace is powerfully at work, where, where there's a tangible sign of the kingdom moving on, there will be those who will react with jealousy and anger and fear because ultimately Satan is filled with jealousy and anger and fear. And look what happens. They arrested the apostles. Verse 18, they put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. If the gospel is offensive, the gospel and the God of the gospel, but is powerful. Interesting enough, one of the words that appears in the gospel account of Jesus relating to the disciples is this very thing. Go is a command. Supremely, of course, we hear that in the Great Great Commission at the end of Matthew's gospel where Jesus on the mountaintop tells the disciples when they saw, when the disciples were gathered on the mountain where Jesus told them to go, they saw him, they worshipped him, although some, some doubted they weren't perfect, they had their questions, they had their struggles. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That command to go, when the disciples were gathered on Ascension Day, and saw the Lord exalted to the right hand of God in heaven, what did the angel say to these disciples? Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. That command to move, that command to be obedient. And here the command is go and stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this youth right. Notice, of course, that's possible because the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. This is the God who said, Behold, I, I, I can open doors that no one can shut. I can also shut doors that no one can open. This is the God who said to the church in Philadelphia, I have opened a door for you. Go through that door. Enter into that opportunity. And this is the God, even during a time of lockdown and, and all the circumstances of that, says to the church and to God's people, there are doors of opportunity that I want you to engage with, that I want you to enter through in order that the gospel about this you life might be proclaimed and we need to be obedient. We need to be sensitive to what that spirit is saying and how he leads us and how he prompts us on into your opportunities, you ways of doing kingdom work. And so the gospel has authority. The disciples go. They respond. They're obedient. And we see that, of course, later on. We read on in the story. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. 
And the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. This is the second time that Peter and, in this case, all the apostles say we must obey God rather than human beings. Remember, they said that earlier. And the first time they were called in, when Peter said in chapter 4 and verse 19, Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? Be You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That authority of the gospel meant that the disciples knew that they had to obey God. Pastor Yang in China knew that they had to be faithful to God and to challenge and to call out the sins of the regime. And can I suggest that in Scotland in 2020s, we too might well have a calling to do exactly the same. We live in a day where the civil power has accrued to itself great powers, perhaps for valid reasons for the moment. But will they be happy to release these powers or to move on from those powers? I'm going to a meeting this coming week, or well, at least on Zoom, with the Christian Institute, where we're going to be looking at some of the legislation which is passing through the Scottish Government, the Scottish Parliament, concerning hate crimes, legislation which could be used, indeed could already be used, or will soon be able to be used, to call into question whether, for instance, I, as a Christian minister, say that Jesus is the only way to God. Will I be allowed to say that, or is that inciting opposition to other people's faiths? If, as a church, we stand on certain moral or theological principles concerning marriage, or the whole transgender issue, or on a whole host of other issues, will that be allowed, or will that be seen by the state as being offensive? There are a number of issues where we may well have, like the disciples, to say we must obey God rather than human beings. And as I've said many times before over this period, I'm more and more convinced as we go into the 2020s, more of these issues, more of these challenges, more of these spiritual realities will become revealed within our own nation as we in the West and with our own country begin to face the same responsibilities and challenges that the church in the world faces of having to make a stand for Jesus in an increasingly intolerant and non-supportive environment. So the gospel is an offence, but the gospel has authority. It opens doors and it calls God's people to obey. And then we read very briefly, and we're moving on very quickly, we then read in just a matter of a couple of verses a very concise form of what the gospel is actually about. Verse 30. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Here we have summed up the gospel. We have the bad news of our sinfulness, of our responsibility. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God has exalted him to his own right hand in order that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. The bad news is often the offense. All of us don't, none of us rather, like to think that we need to be forgiven, that we're in a serious state before a holy God, that we are responsible as much as anyone else, 
for the death of Jesus on the cross. That's offensive. That caused a reaction. But that bad use of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit brings, that convicting word of the Holy Spirit also convinces us that there is a Savior, that we need a Savior. This Jesus, whom God has raised from the dead. Notice again that continual reference back to the resurrection, that central truth that stands at the very heart of biblical Christianity. The Savior died, but rose again, triumphant from the grave, and now sits at God's right hand on high, all powerful to save these fundamental biblical truths are at the heart of the gospel. And notice the witness. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. And of course, that great encouragement today that the same Spirit of God that enabled these disciples to bear witness to what they saw is the Spirit of God which within us steals us with that, seals us with that stamp of witness and enables us to also say, I know that my Redeemer lives the content of the gospel, to bring people to repentance because God has done that great and unique work of salvation. There is no other name, as Peter has already said, there is no other name under heaven by which men and women might be saved. But that message, as I said earlier, might well increasingly be regarded as being offensive. And then lastly, Look what happens. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up by the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. And they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Interesting enough, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, was used by God there to bring a word, a sensible word, a, a word of wisdom into the situation. Christianity isn't a human movement. It isn't created and motivated and continues by human power or design, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, the prophet said. And because it is the message of salvation, because it is God's word, God's final word in Jesus Christ to the world, then it does succeed. The church in China is a testimony to that. The church in our own country over these last thousands of years, a couple of thousand years nearly now, or, or 1,500 years, is a testimony to that story. The church of Jesus Christ stands as a witness to the fact that this is the work of God. If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. But then look what happens. The speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in, had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And the disciples went home and shut up. Is that the end of the story? No, it's not. The final verses. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, listen again, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace 
for the name. As you may well know, there is a, a, a phrase that's sometimes used to describe a particular generation, the snowflake generation. Well, whether that's a valid phrase or not, I'm not going to speak about at the moment. But there certainly is a snowflake Christianity, which is very prevalent in the Western world and within our own country. A Christianity that is there, that is orthodox, that believes all the right things, but fits in very easily to living in a predominantly secular, materialistic society. Indeed, it feeds our desire to be comfortable, to be safe, to be secure, to have things, to have status, to have position, to, to, to be looked at with regard. But even as I say those very words, even as I say those very words, that should challenge us. Because in the same way as snow very quickly disappears before the warmth of the rising sun, so that type of Christianity, snowflake Christianity, will not stand the day of testing. We've already said last week that the story of Ananias and Sapphira is there as a warning. We've already read from Peter of how judgment begins with the household of God. All these things that are happening round about us, and indeed within us, are meant to refine our faith, to mature our faith, and to reveal what really is within us. If it's a snowflake Christianity, that holds to a form but denies the life-changing and life-radical impacting power of the gospel, then it will not stand the day of testing. But these disciples, these apostles, convinced by the Spirit, witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I read those final words, and I sit and I ponder. I look into my own heart. I look at the state of the church, our own congregation, but also the state of the church. I look at all that's happening round about us, and I just wonder. Would these verses be written about me as I seek to live for Jesus? Not in AD 30, something or other, but in 2020. They left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I trust and I pray that those words could be written about me and about you in this day and in this generation. Amen. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we do remember before you this day your church and our world. We pray particularly for Pastor Wang and for his congregation and for your church in China and in Hong Kong in these challenging days. We thank you for that promise that you will build your church. We thank you for the witness of many faithful believers down through the decades who paid the ultimate price of their life or who faced great trial and tribulation because they obeyed God rather than men. And we thank you for your church. And we pray that by your spirit, you will continue to build your church in that land and prepare your church in Hong Kong for whatever challenges it will face in these coming years. We pray for the suffering church throughout our world 
and for its powerful witness to your resurrection power, to that you life, you values, you way of seeing things that stands radically opposed to the principalities and powers of this world. And we pray for ourselves that God's grace may truly be released and be at work amongst us and within us. That in these days and in the days that lie ahead, whatever challenges may bring to us through this time of virus and whatever else may happen following on from that, through all the great challenges of having to be faithful to Jesus and increasingly sceptical society, that you would empower us and enable us. So that we too, like the disciples of old, like our brothers and sisters in Christ today in other parts of the world, may rejoice because we had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for that name, for that glorious and powerful and wonderful name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.